Get ready for season three of the Tron Grand Hackathon 2022 with a total of $1.2 million in prizes across Web3, DeFi, GameFi, NFTs, and the newly added Academy and Ecosystem tracks. The wait is over. Tron Grand Hackathon presented by TronDAO. To learn more, visit trondow.org. This episode is also brought to you by Ledin. From Bitcoin and USDC savings accounts to Bitcoin-backed loans, Ledin's financial services enable you to benefit from your holdings today without selling your Bitcoin. Learn more about Ledin at ledin.io. Ledin, where your digital assets come to life. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. We are at Mainnet, and I'm very excited. We've gone back and forth a few times on the mic. My guest, Travis Scher, co-founder and managing partner at North Island Ventures. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Frank. What do you think of the conference so far? Well, I've only been here for about 30 minutes, and I've spent most of the time talking to you, so it's been fantastic. Um, Travis is, uh, is very funny. I'm, I've been pleasantly surprised. Yes. I think, uh, I try to be. Yeah, but not too hard. It doesn't come off like you're trying too hard. Um, I feel like there's a lot of new names. Like I'm walking through the conference hall and seeing companies that I've never seen before. Yeah, there's, there's new names, but they sound very similar to the old names. They are generally the old names with one or two letters changed at it's, most. Yeah, or like adding .network or .co or .io to the end of it. Yes, yes. I think we're all out of the... We're, we've kind of run through all the chain block bit. We ran out of those years ago. Yeah. Now I'm seeing... You know, it's just random verbs, two companies using them coming to pitch us within the same few weeks. It's mm -hmm. happening. One of them might be a DAO. One of them might be an Inc., but same name. And they could be doing completely different things. Sometimes. Um, usually they're, they're pretty similar. Got it. A lot of the same ideas, too. So you just launched uh, your second fund. We did, indeed. Um, so we recently closed and announced our... North Island Venture's second venture fund. It's a $125 million fund. Um, we've just started deploying it. And so, you know, we're, we're in good shape for this winter. Do you ever find yourself on the same cap table as Castle Island Ventures? Yeah, a few times. So yeah. we too might have an insufficiently unique name. <laughs> and what's the sort of overarching investment thesis of, of this fund maybe relative to the previous one? Yeah, so the, the big picture thesis is the same. Our view is that crypto is the next great enabling technology, meaning it's a platform that offers new capabilities that entrepreneurs can leverage and combine to create applications and experiences that could not previously exist. We have 
specific views on various crypto verticals and use cases, um, but that's sort of our 10-year view. I feel like the narratives have changed, right? I keep hearing this word experiences, how important experiences are and how crypto can enable new types of experiences that we haven't seen before in a metaverse setting, perhaps. Um, you've been in the game a while. You've invested or backed, I think, 150 companies. Yes. Give or take one or two. Yes. Um, From the DCG days. Yes. If you if you sum them all up, side note, um, we're here at Masari. Ryan Sokas is actually the, the person who hired me into crypto. So grateful for, really? for him. Yes, yes. Wow. And you've gone on to do crazy things. I don't know. I wouldn't call them crazy, but I'm still alive, and that's the good news. So when you think about the different companies coming to you, what is the like? what does the pipeline look like? How many – it feels like we're in a bear market, but just looking at – this venue there are all these new this new wave of entrepreneurs and tons of capital on the other side to back them there's you know your recent new fund uh launch there's been heaps of them popping up all over the place yeah it's it's a very weird time in the venture markets and in the crypto venture markets i think as everybody knows, in you know Q4 of last year, Q1 of this year, things hit a true fever pitch. The pace at which investment firms were deploying was completely unprecedented. And you know, since Q2, crypto, in particular, has been pretty much straight down. And uh, valuations on the venture side started to correct a bit over the summer. In August almost nobody went out to fundraise. That mm -hmm. was everybody took a step back and said, let's see where we are post Labor Day. And when we got back, you know, we saw an influx of fundraising pitches. Um, but things are moving at uh, probably a third of the speed that they were earlier this year. Valuation expectations are dramatically lower. Um, and so, you know, we'll see where things eventually settle. I think uh, it's a different market already. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's going back to anything that looked like the 2021, early 2022 market anytime mm -hmm. soon. And I feel like there's been a de-emphasis de on tokens. Um, perhaps. I, I wouldn't say I've seen that yet. I'd still say, you know, at least half of the opportunities we're seeing have some token component to them. But, you know, generally you do see this cycle whereby when the token markets are up, more entrepreneurs want to launch tokens. And when the token markets are down, they pivot towards equity. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of in the process maybe of that pivot yeah. versus at the full fruition. Yeah, I mean, it's very possible that in three, six months, we really do not see many new tokenized, you know, early stage startups launching. Um, but that being said, it's kind of a funny thing, right? Because, you know, in general, what should come first is the idea. And the idea should determine whether or not there's a token or not. It mm -hmm. shouldn't be the market. It's a little bit of a tail wagging the dog phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was the that was the market in DeFi summer. The market this past fall, I'd say, November. To your point. Yes, I think peak fever. Peak fever. Um, once in a lifetime type stuff on the venture side for sure. How did you keep up with the pace? 
Um, well, I would say from an investment perspective, we did not try to keep up with the pace. I think you know we saw a lot of funds in venture and in crypto that were on a one year or less deployment cycle, mm. which is completely unprecedented. You know, I've been doing venture investing since 2015, and from 2015 through 2018, 2019, a three year deployment pace was the standard, mm -hmm. maybe two and a half years, and then. You know, Tiger came in and started deploying at this rate that nobody's ever seen before. And there was perhaps a little bit of memetics whereby people wanted to keep up with Tiger and started also deploying at that pace. And that trickled down in the market. And um, it was a little bit of a frenzy. But, you know, we, we stuck to a pretty steady pace. We deployed Fund One in a little over two years. And I think mm -hmm. this fund will be a two to three year deployment pace as well. Now, as it relates to the pace that deals are getting done, you really had no choice but to show up, be focused, have a prepared mind, and make decisions fast. And um, I don't think that's the best way for this market to function, neither from a founder perspective or an investor perspective. Because when we invest in a company, we're signing up for years of working together. And to do that based on two meetings over two days mm -hmm. um, does not seem like a wise approach. For both parties. For both parties. It takes a while to figure someone out. Yes, indeed. More in, than in many domains of life. Yeah, especially in the investing domain. Yes. But in all domains. In all domains. Mm. It's a people business. Venture is very much a people business. That's my approach. You know, I think you see a lot of funds out there that are, um, you know, grown to a large size and they take those management fees and they build these huge platform teams and they say, we're going to offer all these services. And I think that's a totally viable approach. And many have done that quite well for us. Uh, you know, we really think about our, our, the way that we work with founders as, as people, as humans. And the two things that we do is we give them the best advice we possibly can and access to a broad network of potential partners. What's the biggest red flag you see in a founder oh, man. aside from calling you Trevor anything that indicates that they yes calling me Trevor would would be a deal breaker um, <laughs> as we discussed before the podcast I do not like that but um, the biggest red flag is anything related to integrity mm -hmm. obviously you know anything that indicates that they might be hiding something or they're structuring the investment round in such a way that you know, does not align incentives and they don't care about that. Yeah. So they, they lack integrity. Well, that makes sense. Another thing that applies to many domains in life. Indeed. So what are some of the, what are some of the like categories that you're particularly excited about? So we're very excited about this notion of interoperability more broadly. Mm. You know, when we set our thesis in, in 2020, we said that, you know, we believe in its end state, crypto is an interoperable network of networks that facilitates the seamless exchange of value and data all across the world. And so um, we made our first investment in interoperability in Axelar back mm -hmm. in, you know, fall of 2020 and started to think more about it. You know, the risk then was that Axelar was perhaps too early and we're, we're super excited about them. I would say the risk now is perhaps that they have too much competition because mm -hmm. we entered this multi-chain world faster than anybody could have expected. And so we made a, f a few other investments in that vein. We've gotten really excited about the Cosmos ecosystem, 
We're seeing tremendous talent there. Um, but I do not think there will be one blockchain to rule them all. I think that when we look back in 10 years, we will think that the sort of tribal battles amongst branded blockchains that we see playing out of conferences like this were really quite silly. I feel like it's kind of dissipating. It is actually, interestingly. Especially like looking at one Ryan Selkis with one uh, Mr. Um, Garlinghouse. Uh, Garlinghouse, thank you. Yeah, I think you might expect that. In and a, Charles Hodkinson is here. and Yeah, you might expect that in a bear market the knives come out, but actually it's in the bull market that, um, you know, all of the layer ones and different tribes in crypto fight and fight. When things are down, they, there's sort of a, a, a sobering up and a recognition that we are all in this together and it yeah. is the very early days of the industry and that, um, you know, interest between developers and token holders and fans of different blockchains are much, much more aligned than, than they are divergent. Get ready for season three of the Tron Grand Hackathon 2022. There are a total of $1.2 million in prizes up for grabs in Web3, DeFi, GameFi, NFTs, and the newly added Academy and Ecosystem tracks. So what are you waiting for? Join Tron for an opportunity to showcase your work, win funding for your project, and network with other builders in the community. Tron Grand Hackathon, presented by TronDAO. To learn more, visit trondow.org. I also want to give a shout out to Ledin. Ledin, Bitcoin back loans and savings by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. As we've seen, not all digital asset lenders are created equal. Ledin prioritizes safeguarding clients' assets with its robust risk management approach. That is why Ledin doesn't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation strategies with its clients' assets and only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. Ledin is also dedicated to transparency, which is why they are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation. Learn more about Ledin at ledin.io. Ledin, where your digital assets come to life. You ever get worried that we're not that early? I saw I was at a press conference with Coinbase this morning and one stat that was distressing to me was that they have 103 million clients or users. And I was like, that's a lot. That's like, <laughs> that's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. I wouldn't say um, those people are Coinbase users, but whether or not they are true crypto users mm, is- uh, A different question. Is, is debatable. Um, if we're late, that's that's not great news because you know we don't have that many real users in crypto. We don't have that many applications and experiences that have actually improved the lives of real people. Um, I do think it's it's very very early. I think that the way that I look at what's happened over the last two years with DeFi, with NFTs, with DAOs is we have real proof of concepts now, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people got mixed up and thought that. DeFi summer, you know, trading of 2D static images, things like Constitution DAO and others. This was like, it was all happening and it was the real deal, but it wasn't. We haven't really built the 
tools or applications that make a real positive impact on people's lives yet, but we've proven that this technology can do all that's been promised. And it can capture the attention of the proletariat, no, of, of just regular people, right? Because think about um, the new folks brought in through NFTs, through the metaverse. They are not the same as the DeFi punters. They're a totally different category. And it's funny, I feel like when I think back on um, folks who have been in the space longer, traders specifically, when they try to speculate on NFTs, they, you know, had 16-year-olds running circles around them um, because it's just a totally different beast. But in that same vein, it's a totally different, it brings in a totally different group of, of people. Yeah, and I think with NFTs, we've barely scratched the surface. Yeah, because it's basically just taking what exists in the analog world and trying to create a digital digital representation of it versus giving it some sort of dynamic utility. And, you know, I think, you know, we don't even know what it can unlock. No, certainly be, not. There's going to be iterations of it that when we do a show years in the future, we would be quite surprised by like, oh, they can do that. Yeah, I think, you know, we've seen um, temporary excitement around things like trading cards, these PFPs, different collectibles, art. Those are all essentially 2D static images. Mm -hmm. And the next wave will be more interactive, more engaging, have some sort of utility, across domains. Um, and so that's where we've been spending time. Yeah. We got to build a podcast studio in the metaverse. Yes. Um, you know, at DCG, actually, we created a, a fund back in the day called Metaverse Ventures. Nobody remembers this because... Really? I didn't know uh, that. Well, we, uh, you know, Barry and I got really excited about Decentraland in 2017 and 2018. Mm -hmm. And we started buying up land and we hired a bunch of developers. I got to... Uh, spend a bunch of time with them. We built a volcano that had a maze inside in Decentraland. That was my idea. I think yeah. we built the first art gallery in Decentraland. Um, yeah, and then it was it was honestly quite shocking and funny to me to see that, you know, a few years later, Mark Zuckerberg first utters the words, changes the name of the company. It becomes this crazy buzzword for a while. You know, people in real estate are pivoting into digital real estate. What's like, the deal with that? That's That's... That's insane. Yeah. I, again, I think there was just immense confusion in the broader markets whereby we had these proof of concepts for what the future could look like and people thought that it was the present. But the metaverse is not here unless you define metaverse to mean internet. How is How do you think land in the metaverse should be valued? You know, I, I thought about this a bunch a few years ago. I think that there will be some value to land that is in desirable locations. But I also think um, there will be, there, there should be no intrinsic limit on all the land in the metaverse. So some portion of it will be very valuable and some portion of it will be essentially free. Mm -hmm. And what do you think makes a location valuable? Well, what will make a location valuable is density. It's a network effect, functionally. It's the same thing that makes, you know, the neighborhood that uh, 
the block is invaluable. It's the same thing mm -hmm. that makes New York City valuable. There's no shortage of land in America. Like from what I understand, you know, we could we could easily double the population and we'd have plenty of space for everybody, but people prefer to cluster. Mm -hmm. And so in, there are some wrinkles to what that will look and feel like in a fully virtual world where people can, um, you know, jump from one location to the other, but there will still be some notion of, hey, like this is where... I am existing and where my sensory perception um, is emanating from and where uh, other folks are gathering. Mm -hmm. And I guess there's still a degree of only so many people can be in a given spot. Yes, yes. It would be a very jarring user experience to be sharing the same space with somebody else, although... <laughs> um, it's possible. It is. It is possible it's in the metaverse. Possible. Yes. Um, so do you think that's an overhyped category? I think it's like the most exciting idea in crypto over like some multi-decade time horizon. Mm. That's I a, think that's a long time. It is around. a very long time. It's and very, I like to think about these things. You know, I like yeah. to think about where is the world going to be in 10, 20, 30 years. But from an investment perspective, um, I'm not betting on you know, people spending huge portions of their lives and, you know, immersive virtual worlds in the, in the near term. Unless you start talking about games, which I consider sort of a different category. Yeah, why do you consider that a different category? Well, I think, you know, games are here. But when I think of the metaverse, I think of like a truly interoperable virtual world that one generally enters through VR and has, you know, more uh, sensory inputs. Mm. Um, I think it's a long ways off. Got it. I mean, to an extent, though, like a game can be a metaverse. Yes. Um, well, it depends how you use the term metaverse, right? So the metaverse, I think, is properly defined as a broad-based, broad interoperable sort of network of virtual worlds where users can port their identity, port their assets... Um, et cetera. I think, a, a, you know, I wouldn't refer to a single game necessarily mm. as a metaverse. Fair enough. So what type of lessons do you think you've gleaned over the past seven years almost investing in this market? Lessons. Things change faster than anybody generally expects. You know, there's sort of a recency bias where people expect the next six months to look like the last three months. And oftentimes the next six months look nothing like the previous three months in terms of, you know, both asset prices and user adoption numbers and what trends pick up. Um, that's, a, that's a key one. I would say uh, ideas always come back. Right. So totally. ideas have a moment and then they come back. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when they come back, something has changed and the time is right. And sometimes when they come back, it's because everybody forgot that this was already attempted and failed. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, what's an example of that uh, music, for example, there were a number of music uh, blockchain startups back in the 2015, 16 days. And, you know, most of those didn't get go anywhere and then music nfts became a huge buzzword you know earlier this year and still early days in those i don't know if that's going to work yet i don't know if anybody's quite figured out the formula another one is digital identity so there were a bunch of digital identity startups back in the day 
know, companies like Civic and Showcard, et cetera, mm-hmm. and none of them really worked out. Now, digital identity is back. It's a big buzzword now. It is. I, personally, I, I do think the time is right for more to be built in digital identity. I think we now have enough users who have crypto wallets. I think ENS as a primitive to build on is super, super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing some really interesting stuff you know, related to reputation and labor markets and um, unsecured lending. So I'm pretty optimistic that we will see a bunch of progress in identity broadly defined over the next couple of years. Do you think the wallet serves as like the core piece of yes. infrastructure for that? Yes. Yes. I think that's longer term what the wallet really becomes. It becomes sort of a hub for um, one's identity, right? It becomes a, a, it stores, you know, all the assets that you use in, you know, Web3 social and it, it has a bunch of data that, um, you know, uh, basically provides credentials, et cetera. So, yes. Not everybody's on board with that. Some people think that we need to sort of obfuscate the wallet. Yes. Make it something that you don't even know exists to a degree. Well, I, I think that too. I don't think these are mutually sort of exclusive ideas. I think that wallets need to be simpler and better for end users. I think what Dapper's done with the Dapper wallet is is very good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just an email login, essentially. I think wallet will cease to be the right term over time. Fair enough. Portal. Portal. Uh, Portal was, you know, that's what they called Yahoo back in the day, right? Well, so let's just go back. Can bring it back. Make it sexy again. Make yes. Portal sexy again. What, what was the title of your panel again? Um, the title of my panel was how VCs can add more value now or how the, why they need to add more value now versus six versus months. previously, I guess we didn't have to do anything. <laughs> Were you not doing anything? No, nothing. <laughs> it's on a beach. Now I'm back to work. Prices where they are. <laughs> I feel like that's my life. <laughs> I was on a beach six months ago. Now I actually have to work and show up in person. Yeah, to in things. bull markets, we just live the vacation lifestyle. Uh, bring me back. Take me back to my Mai Tai. I don't even think I've ever had a Mai Tai, to be honest. Like, I don't think I've ever had one. I'm not even sure what a Mai Tai is. Isn't that a like a drink? It's a tropical beverage yeah. of some sort, yeah. Oh, like, I don't know what's in it. Probably I don't really, rum. Yeah, I don't like those types of... I don't, I don't like, like cocktails. I don't sugar? Like, yeah. No, I don't want I that. don't like sweets, really. Well, I like dessert. You don't uh, like dessert? No. Not even Italian pastries? Yes, yeah. Like those. Cannoli? Yeah, cannoli's good. I love a cannoli. Cannoli's good. Or like a Sfiliadel or, uh, you know, like those eclairs are really good. Yeah. I don't know. I'm more of like a just whiskey. Scotch? Yeah. Me too. Bourbon? No, I like scotch. Not a big vodka guy. Me neither. It's gross. Um... So I guess we can we can maybe help you prep. So what what uh how do you add value now? How do we add value now? Well, now that we're back from our bull market vacation lifestyle, um, <laughs> we um, look the way I think about how we work with our portfolio companies is it's it's quite classic and quite simple. You know, there's been all these venture funds over the past few years who have grown to a gargantuan size. They have mm-hmm. you know 
huge amount of management fees. They use those management fees to build these platform teams that provide a number of services related to recruiting, or sure. et cetera. And I think it's a totally viable approach. Some of those groups do actually add tremendous this value. This is like an A16Z. Yeah, and, and many others at yeah. this point. Um, but honestly, I think the, the most you can do for a portfolio company, the, the highest leverage acts are you give them really darn good advice and you give them access to a broad network of potential partners. Mm-hmm. And that's what we focus on, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, a lot of the advice is based on years of experience working with companies through market cycles. A lot of the advice is based on what are we seeing now in the market. And then if we have to go a little bit deeper, my partner, James, um, is a fantastic researcher. His mm-hmm. background is in research. So if we need to figure something out and, you know, better understand a market or a potential business model, you know, he and some of our analysts will go in, put in the work and we'll come back with a really well thought out idea. Yeah. Simple. Simple. Well, sir, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can our listeners learn more about what you're doing? Uh, I suppose they can uh, find me on Twitter at Travis share. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Frank. The scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have a good day.